Welcome to Kineo's Stream of Thought, a monthly podcast that features informal chat from the Kineo team about all things l and I'm Paul Westlake, Solutions Consultant at Kineo, and today we're talking about learner power. I'm pleased to say on today's show I'm joined by... James Corey Wright, Head of Learning Design. Jenny Lysip, Marketing Director. Jez Anderson, Head of Consulting. Thanks all. So today's all around learner power, so why doesn't someone take me through what that actually means? I shall do that, Paul. Um, So learner power is a concept that we've come up with um, recently uh, on the back of some research and work and thinking we've been doing around social learning over the last 12 months. Ultimately, um, what we mean by learner power is what it actually looks like to develop a social learning culture within an organisation. Um, And it's a way of describing that and giving some language to that. So you've got learner and you've got organisation and you have the the power between the two. And what we're talking about is the dynamic and that power shift between where the learner has all the power um, and the organisation has all the power um, and the different um, activities and things that we can do to support that shift as appropriate within an organisation. Can I question a little bit as to why why we're doing this now because I think um, companies already have an LMS in place so to a certain extent they've got um, sort of control over the learning that people have and then I guess the flip side of that would be um, a lot of learners are probably already using um, things like Facebook and WhatsApp groups and what have you and uh, almost putting that in place themselves so why, why are we sort of forcing their hand a little bit on that now? Um, I think what we've noticed is that a lot of organisations are interested in social learning and what's actually so, the benefits that social learning can bring to their organisations and hence our interest in it and how we can best support it. And of course there's lots of tools and there's the platforms out there that, that really are all geared towards social learning and giving, giving, that, um, giving people opportunities to, to share and to collaborate and to contribute to different conversations. However, what we found is that lots of organisations were putting these tools in place, but they're not getting picked up, they're not getting adopted, and we and started to wonder why and what was going on behind that. Yep. So that's where we started to do our little bit of an inquiry into it and looked at, looked at what was going on. And we came up with the, the, the concept of, of, of um, learner power on the back of that, which is basically saying that some organisations have all the the conditions, if you like, the factors that they would need to generate a social learning culture, whereas others don't, you know, and that's fine, and that's okay, Um, but what we want to try and do is start to help organisations work towards a social learning culture which is is fit for them, which is fit fit for their culture, fit for the behaviours they demonstrate, fit for the sorts of roles that they employ, um, and fit for the tools that they've actually got available to them. I suppose, um, Jez, what you are saying, though, is there is an assumption here that learning socially, um, you know, with learning with other people, is an inherently good and positive uh, experience. Yeah, yeah, I think, and I think ultimately it happens all the time, and it's happening happening naturally, and that hence that's why people are interested in it. The reality of it is organisations are trying to own it a little bit and put some put some boundaries around it, and it's about what does those boundaries look like, and how do we help organisations. realise and reflect the boundaries that that they're working within. Um, I suppose that's one of the the dangers, perhaps, is that um, the more you try and put those boundaries on, um, the the more you can 
sort of try and negate really or, or you know without meaning to negate what's what's happening naturally so um you know there's that sort of top-down um weird kind of influence coming into a, 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 a social learning discussion and, and trying to sort of move the conversation in a particular direction or trying to steer it when actually this is just happening naturally you just have to be brave enough to let that let that go but surely there are certain topics that this just does not work for so for example um you know i'm, I'm sure people are sort of screaming at, at, at their uh, their phones now whatever they're listening to the show on and saying but that's that's all well and good but what about for compliance i don't, I don't want them to just generally discuss compliance I, I they need to do a piece of compliance learning because the company needs to know that someone's done it and and this is what they need to do so where does that sort of fit in with giving the learner that power it's not really optional well, when you say that they've done it what do you mean by that well, they've completed a certain piece of learning to a certain standard. Well, they haven't necessarily completed a piece of learning. I mean, that's that's the problem, really, isn't it? It's about uh, it, what are you tracking? You can't track learning. Essentially, you can track that somebody's clicked. You can track clicking. Um, and so I would question the entire validity of uh, the compliance, online compliance training in the first place. And I suppose one thing there as well is that um, you can you can go through a course and you know as you say you can you can click through and you can gain the information. Um, what you might need to do then is go and socialise that and and you know work it out in the workplace. So put it into practice, chat with your colleagues, um, you know start to build experiences out of the things that you've you've learned. And so what in some ways what the model does the model reflects that and reflects the different needs that organizations will have so at one end of the model what we've called is a, is a is a bucket if you like called embedded so really what we're trying to do there is just embed some social techniques into a standard learning design so it could be a piece of compliance but rather than just being a click through and you know people engage or disengage or whatever it is with it it's, there's a call to action within that, which may well be a social call to action. It may be a question to go and go and talk to your colleagues, go and talk to your boss. It, it's just asking them to do something with the information, maybe in a slightly different way to the way that they've done it before. So you said that's one of the buckets. So how many buckets are there in our model then? So there's four buckets. So we've got at one end of the spectrum, which, if you like, if you think about it as a, a diagonal line going upwards... Um, the, the one end of it is where the, the power lies with the organisation and not with the learner. Yep. And that is, that's the embedded end. So at the far end of the spectrum is what we call unfacilitated, which is the fourth bucket. And this is where the power lies with the learner and not necessarily with the organisation. Um, and then between that, so we've got one end, we've got embedded, then it goes to blended, which is a blended solution built around social and then you've got facilitated, which is starting to look at things like curation. It's starting to look at how do you engage communities of, 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 of experience and practice together, but still in a way which is slightly managed. And so bandwidth of, of, of information has been, been, been controlled to a degree by the organisation. And then ultimately, as I say, unfacilitated, which is pretty much there's the tools, crack on and use it as you want to as a community. And obviously people may be coming into this at a specific level depending on you know, how mature their, their social learning um, approach is in the, in the business already. Are we expecting everyone to get to this unfacilitated level then? Not, not really, no, to be honest. I think the, 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 the value of the model really is just to get people thinking about where they are, where they're at and where they might want to be. But they might not want to go there. I mean, that's the whole point of the learner power continuum. It might be that it doesn't really suit the organisation, doesn't suit the employees within the organisation um, to 
sort of be at that kind of unfacilitated level, where which, which is quite a bit of a free-for-all, it just might not be appropriate. And actually, you touched on uh, compliance. It may be, to be on in the real world, actually a lot of the training is about compliance. Therefore, the organisation doesn't feel relaxed about um, uh, not you know about losing control over that, and therefore it might not be appropriate to go unfacilitated. The key thing is that it gets you thinking and questioning your, yourself about what sort of what you really want and where you're really at, so you don't just go blundering in and get it all wrong. Yeah, and I think that's quite key that we're not saying everyone needs to get to X point to be you know no. compliant for want of a better word in social um, so I, I guess we can offer support at each of those bucket levels and if people wanted to move from you know bucket two to bucket three or from bucket one to bucket four then you know we, we could support them throughout all of that I think that's absolutely right Wesley that's what that's what sort of we would hope to, to sort of bring to the table I think the key is is that it's not necessarily about everyone has to be aspiring to be unfacilitated in that way it's only going to work with certain populations and we've seen that that it tends to only work when you've got existing communities of practice working together people who share same the similar sort of jobs similar sort of roles have a similar sort of you know almost like problem solving culture that's when it works at its best you know the other end of the spectrum in you know embedded is fine for a more compliance organisation or maybe certain roles within an organisation where actually all they're doing is, you know, all they'll ever do is, is, is do the compliance stuff. And, that, and that's fine. You know, it's, it's okay. Ultimately, what we want to try and do is, 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 is steer organisations towards the solution which is going to best fit them. Um, and we've got some examples of, of how we've done that already, um, which, you know, which, have worked, which have worked well. You see, I mean, you know, a classic example is that you, 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 you think, oh, we're going to go social. So you create a, a, a site yep. and you tell everybody about it and you go, there you go then. It's what we've come before. Is it, you know, it's, yeah. This whole social thing is an empty bucket, isn't it? Yeah. And, and then people say it's failed because no one's put anything into the bucket, but no one's told them what sort of thing. Well, that's a bit weird even that. So I'll, I'll take back what I've just said there, which is no one else has told them what to say. So in some ways that's sort of flies in the face of this whole idea of social anyway, doesn't it? Um, it's interesting to me coming from a, um, from a marketing perspective because it's exactly the conversation that we've sort of had over the past, I was going to say 10 years, but maybe 15 years. Um, you know, we want to um, encourage our, our customers and our community to chat with each other, to become advocates, to become, um, to be generating user-generated content, to have chats under our banner about a particular topic. But as soon as you try and encourage that, they sort of stop doing it, really. You know, they're, they're doing it anyway. Yeah. They're talking about us on Twitter. They're talking about us on, on Facebook. They're busy having their lives in their community. You know, we sort of weighed in um, with our agenda and it's you know it's the worst thing you could do isn't it really it's that thing of uh, well you know why build a why build a big empty sort of echo chamber of a community that's got nobody in it and nobody knows what to say well, because everyone else having conversations elsewhere already that's so. right yeah it is a bit of an echo chamber in the sense that it's empty and it relies on people to sort of generate their own content and so on i think curation though uh, is an important thing as as particularly looking ahead not much of it's actually being done now but there is a place for it so you have a, a community, and it doesn't do any harm necessarily to have a curator uh, f feeding things in, yeah. um, spotting what you know the trends are, picking up on what people are kind of wanting. 
and picking up also on what people are not interested in mm. and getting rid of that and bringing in some fresh stuff. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, it's not, not necessarily a bad thing to have a, a curator or somebody who's managing or looking after that community. I think for me, the important thing is that it's somebody who makes sense. So um, it, you don't want it to be top down. You don't want it to be awkward or imposed. So somebody within that group already, within that social group, who just becomes a champion. Um, and, you know, we talk about the 90 to 9 to 1 rule, um, you know, in terms of sort of social media. So... Um, the 90 people who just read and just look and, and participate, the nine who are active members of the community and the one who creates and seeds the content. I think that's fine as long as it's the right people. I think it's also interesting, Jenny, that the, there's an overlay in the changing face of L&D within organisations and moving away from being the owners of content to being the facilitators of content delivery. And I think in reality, what we're seeing is a trend much more towards that. And so part of this is about actually skilling and empowering L&D professionals to act in more, more a way of actually facilitators of content and facilitators of knowledge versus people who are maybe more parental or more controlling over the knowledge and the information that people access. Um, and uh, I think the other thing is, there, of course, we shouldn't forget there's a huge amount of stuff already that's been created already. And I think there lies the problem. The reality of it is there's too much. There's almost too much now for people to, to intelligently access and intelligently use with the time that they have available to them. So it requires recommendations. It requires people to do some filtering for them. And you could argue that actually if you're truly social, that you, you are doing that filtering because the social... A community, an, an organic sort of community, will in fact sort of define for itself what it needs and what it likes and what it wants. Which takes us back to learner power, really, which is ultimately what we're trying to do is we've created some avenues by which we can start to develop not only the tools, but also some of the skills that are associated and the behaviours that are associated with being social. Because the reality of it is to create social communities is, is very difficult, and we've seen that time and time again. So... If I can ask, so we've been talking about this sort of stuff for a, a while now, and I know we've got some um, really interesting blog posts around social. I know we've had conversations in the past around social as well. So how are people actually using this now? So we can give us some examples of, or maybe give us some examples of where, maybe don't know any names, but you know, you've got your four buckets there. We've got sort of clear case studies where people fit into those four buckets. An example of embedded social learning, which is at one end of the continuum, would be a project that we did recently where the content, in fact, launches from within a social platform, i.e. Yammer, and you're in Yammer, and then you have a link to some content, some micro-learning. You click on it, you go out to the micro-learning piece, which is a, a piece of video, and then it's got four different options as to what you uh, can do in regard to that video. One of the options is to, in fact, go back into Yammer and discuss the implications and the issues that are, uh, arise in the video piece. But, but the content itself has been put in place by that organisation to say to their people, this is what we need you to do. Absolutely. It's completely designed, it's completely structured, and uh, the social element exists within the, the formal piece of learning. Cool. Which is slightly different to maybe the way sometimes that's worked in the past where you might do a piece of formal learning and then maybe tag a forum onto the end of it. So it's sort of almost done the other way around. They almost start with the forum, but the, the content's still there. Okay, so that's, that's, that's sort of the, the left-hand bucket, if you like. So moving along the continuum, what comes next? So bucket two, if you like, is what we call blended. 
So we've, in some ways, we've stolen the word blend. Blends, you know, everyone's everyone's familiar with blend or got a definition of what they mean by blend. So, but from this in this context, what we're talking about is a social blend. So the reality of it is, the example that we've got was a really really nice piece of work that lasted for about six months. Ultimately, it was a, is a national organisation. Um, there was lots of good practice going on within it, but there was also some really shocking practice as well. The reality of it is what we did was we created a piece of e-learning. On the end of that e-learning was a social call to action where it was getting people to come together as communities to share their thinking, to share their ideas, to share best practice. We built some personas around that. So actually it was like these little cardboard heads that people wore and they took photographs of it and did selfies. Um, as part of all this conversation, there was stuff going on in the teams that was being facilitated at a local level by L&D and by managers. Ultimately, it was, it was about building as a momentum behind the learning initiative, which started to create some language and some conversation. So, so as a program, it was gaining momentum. And over, over time, more and more people were taking part, getting engaged. It became bigger, it became more forceful. And that, as a result, it became more popular. So what, what role did the L&D team play in that case then? So you said, I'm sure you said they facilitated stuff. So were they taking part in the forums? Were they anonymous within those within that chat, within those forums? I mean, I'm, I'm obviously thinking about the concerns that people are seeing they're being almost policed or graded based on what they say in the social elements. So L&D, they owned it. It was their initiative. But rather than doing it as an L&D initiative, they took it on and they understood they, they, they spent time understanding what the business issue was and looking at what is the best way to address the business issue, which is around a particular aspect of, of, of client feedback. They designed more of a campaign approach to it than actually a, a, a formal delivery approach. Kinio was we 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 helped and facilitated that process with them. They owned it. L and D owned it, and it wasn't L and D you know L and D program. At the end of the day, they were there to steer and guide and help people through the process. But it was much it was it was less about them owning it and much more about them actually just being there as the as the people that provided the direction. Okay, so what, so what comes after blended then? So facilitated is the third um, bucket. Um, a good example of that is um, some work that we've done with a client around a uh, sales enablement tool. Um, so they're using their learning management system, but also a tool to curate relevant content. So um, the team know what it is they need to sell more of, and this is a, a way of um, sharing best practice, um, providing content for them um, around which they can ask questions. So they can also suggest subject matter for, for extra content and extra social learning conversation. I think ultimately it's it's owned by the the the, the L and D that's particularly responsible for sales. So they do own it, and they you know they're the they're the architects of it. Ultimately, they're the people that are posting the initial content onto it. But the reality of it is, is then once it's there, it's starting to be owned by the the, the actual recipients of the learning. So it's much less about the, if you think about the power, it's much less about where the power is. Um, the, the power is less on the organisation and much more on the learner. Okay, so I, I think we've, we've also got an example, haven't we, of a, a client who's maybe started in the left-hand bucket and has relatively quickly moved across into the second bucket and almost sort of approaching the sort of third bucket. So do you want to have a quick chat about, about them and how we think that's worked? And then I guess adding to that, do we think they'll ever get to the fourth bucket or is anyone in the fourth bucket? 
So how did they start? Well, they started from a position of um, compliance learning and everything being pushed to their people. So the LMS was very much a, a destination that you go to maybe once every six months, do that awful bit of compliance stuff, and then come back again in six months' time. Um, but quite quickly, the company also identified that their people were having probably richer, better conversations away from the LMS, if you like, and they were doing that themselves, as we said earlier on, WhatsApp or Facebook or, or you know, a range of different tools. I think they wanted to benefit from that, you know, want to speak to each other and, and try and make it more formal. So they sort of introduced this sort of social side of things. Um, and I think they've now gone almost past that where it's now not just content that's being written by the L&D team that the people are discussing and sharing and, and also encouraging others to do. So I might do a piece of learning and say, oh, Jenny, Jez, I thought this was particularly great. Why don't you go and have a look as well? Um, but also they're getting to the point where the users are actually curating content to a certain extent. They're going out and finding stuff on social or on, you know, YouTube, for example, and saying, well, actually, here's a better example of how to do you know, this topic that we're talking about and sort of sharing that. And the L&D team find themselves becoming more... I guess the um, quality control for that content rather than creating stuff themselves. Um, I think one of the things we saw in our um, Learning Insights report this year was people talking about their LMS becoming a destination. For me, this is a this is the best example we have of that, where um, there's, you don't have to prod a learner to go there. They want to because they want to find out what's new and they've got something they want to share and talk about. Um, you know, whether or not whether or not that's because it's competitive or whether it's just because it's compelling content. It but doesn't really matter, does it? That's right. It's still the same. You know, the same outcome. It's somewhere you want to go and spend your time. I think that's really important. I think uh, the other thing is the changing face of learning and, and what constitutes learning. Um, you know, because we touched on earlier, there's so much content already out there. There's so much information basically available. The less and less it's about having to actually formally learn something. Uh, I memorise it. Um, it's more about being able to sort of find where the information is when you need it. And this is where the social dimension comes in because you can quickly ask about something and other people can help you yeah. get to the right place. Sure. You don't have to learn, it's just more about... Yeah, I mean, in, in, in this case, what, what's actually happening is that the learners are actually asking the L&D team for pieces of information that aren't necessarily there yet. Um, so if they, even if they can't go away and find it themselves, it's like, well, actually, it'd be really helpful if I could have a tool that could do X. You know, and, and I think one of the things that um, the, the client's done... Um, is that they've they've made it very easy and very quick for them to take content to, to, to market. So, you know, they could have a request for a piece of learning and they can have that up and running within, you know, four or five days and it's up there on the site because someone specifically has asked for it. The old process would have been, you know, okay, let's plan out our training um, for, for the year and where are we going to write these pieces of learning and let's go out to a, um, you know, a company and get them to build something for us and in six months' time we may have that. But their learners now are demanding that stuff as and when they need it. And, and it's fair to say it's pretty quick. And it's not the same quality as they would have got with an external provider. Absolutely it's not. But it's good enough for right now. It's, um, it's perfect. It's a perfect perfect storm. Um, also, in a way, you can argue that's kind of a kind of personalised learning, perhaps personalised over groups of people. But um, it, it is surely... The end, this is the perfect end game. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe it's, uh, I'm trying to stir up a hornet's nest here with, with the L&D guys who got listening to the, the podcast, but one thing I learned very quickly when I, in my time with you know working in a large corporate in L&D is that 
the the L&D team aren't, don't have the monopoly on good ideas. You know, they, they think they know what the, the training people need. And in a lot of cases, they're absolutely right. They have got an idea what those people need, maybe from a compliance point of view. But really, you know, you've got a huge workforce there that are possibly struggling with a certain procedure that, and we haven't even thought about training them on that. So, you know, it's really good for those guys to be able to say, this is exactly what we need. And I guess that is the sort of true learner power that we're sort of aiming towards. But I think the thing is, is that what we've got to think remember is, is that there are certain learning opportunities, requirements, needs that are always going to be met in the many different ways that we've already been meeting them for, the, for generations, you know, in reality. Classroom-based learning, e-based learning, books, all that stuff is still relevant. This is just reflecting what's going on in society, which is a shift toward people much more taking ownership and an individual responsibility for their own information and how they get it. And are we saying really then that, um, you know, when we look at uh, unfacilitated, when we look at bucket four, that's never going to be the, the whole picture, perhaps. There's always going to be um, some element of, um, of structured learning. However, what you can think about is what supplements that. So you've had your classroom training. What do you do next? Where's the community that helps you carry on that conversation? Absolutely, and that's the whole, that's exactly what Wester just um, was referring to, I think, was that you know, if the unfacilitated uh, approach is running free and people feel free to sort of say, well, I'd like this and I'd like that, that would be very useful, very helpful, then there's still plenty of scope for providing that. Um, but it's just that it's turned the whole thing on its head. So now you're being asked for things instead of telling. It's just shifting the nature of how, how we learn, how, how organisations feel that they need to own learning, whereas actually now it's about trusting that the people who work within their organisations have got the wherewithal to identify what they need to do their jobs well, um, because they will go and do it anyway. The reality of it is they will they will go and look at YouTube, they will go and do the Facebook, they will talk to their, their colleagues and their friends, you know, and they'll use their professional networks anyway. It's actually how do you support that in a way which fit so it, it can be part of the workflow. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can pick up with us as usual on Twitter where we're at Kineo. For more information, search for learnerpower at kineo.com or follow the links in the show notes below.